right. So, <clears throat> it's great to be together. I encourage you to keep 1 Corinthians open on your device or on your Bible. Steve and Julie's marriage was going through a really rough patch. And being Christians, they actually felt guilty about that. And so they decided that they wouldn't go to church or their growth group. So they wouldn't feel more guilty and so that other people wouldn't find out. Once they got through this rough patch, then they'd go back to church and a growth group. Karen's work was incredibly stressful at the moment. Uh, the money was tight because of COVID and all that came with that. And so dealing with COVID-19 issues and being a wife and a mum... That was just all she seemed to have time and energy for. Once that passed, when things got calmer again, then she'd be able to think about serving God in better ways and have that time to spend with him each day that she knew she should, but she just didn't have time. Brendan just was unhappy with his life. It wasn't bad. He just wasn't happy with it. In fact, he even prayed to God that God would help improve things. You know, his work was boring. The home that they all lived in, it was okay. And the holidays they went on were just pretty basic. And he knew that if things could just improve in these different areas of life, then they'd all be happy. It'd be good for everyone, right? And then, then they'd enjoy so much more of things like church and God and, and so he, in effect, put life and God on pause. It'll be better once things are better. I think we can all relate to some of those life circumstances that we just talked about. We've all experienced that, that desire, that need, that want to change our circumstances probably quite frequently. And once we do, as so often as Christians and Christians I talk to, they all think, let alone say, once things are better, quieter, less stressful, then I'll have time for God. Well, God's word to us today, unsurprisingly, is going to say the exact opposite to finding Real peace, contentment, and life. The line, the the truth that I want us to hear today, and and if if this is all you hear, if you switch off after this, at least you'll go away with the, the most valuable thing, right? So hold on to this. Since you've been called to Christ in every situation, do all things for the glory of God. I'll say it again. Since you've been called to Christ in every situation, do all things for the glory of God. I think it'd be really helpful for us to actually spend some time hearing what God means by that. So that's what we're going to do now. Um, And I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray to our great God. Almighty God, we thank you that because because of your grace given to us in Christ Jesus... For in him we've been enriched in every way, 
And we don't lack any spiritual gifts as we eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And so keep us firm to the end so that we will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So today, what I'm going to do is basically looking at two points. The first one is, as we restart or we get ourselves back into this letter, 1 Corinthians, I'm going to get us to think about Paul's letter to the Corinthians. What's it about? What are the themes? What's going on? Bring us up to speed. The second point is going to be God's call from the passage we had read out to stay in the situation God has placed you. All right. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And what's great about the Bible and and a book like 1 Corinthians is it talks about real life. It's real people are doing real life with one another. The Bible's not a theory book. It's real. And it's about a guy named Paul who went on a journey. And we can see this in our map that'll come up in a second. That shows us a, a bit of a glimpse of the journey that Paul went on visiting various different parts in that part of the world. And one of them was Corinthians. And when he got there, we read about that in Acts chapter 18. Paul was the one who set up the church there, the first ever Christian church. And he did it by preaching the gospel, the message of Jesus as the saviour and the king that God had provided. And so we read in chapter 18, verse 8, that many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. Jews and Gentiles. And you can read more about that in chapter 18. It's really exciting. So we had that first visit. Stayed there for a while, kept going. He came back a couple of times and in between, they wrote letters to one another. But the thing about these letters is they're not very warm or complimentary from both sides. Um, there's big issues going on with one Corinth- well, the Corinthian church. The thing that Paul, we pick up is that the Corinthians, they are challenging Paul's authority and they want to change the message of God that he taught them. And so as we look at 1 Corinthians, and I encourage you to turn there now, we're going to look at the first couple of verses to to get get ourselves back up to speed on those first couple of key issues facing the Corinthian church. What we see there is a messy life. And we live messy lives, don't we? We see a messy church. Uh, the Corinthians, though, they're a little bit like the, the version of a, a teenage bedroom messy within the churches around, okay? They're pretty full on. And so the first issue we see is with authority. Paul, well, he's just not one of those super apostles that they've had since he left, coming with fancy speeches and promising special knowledge for certain people. And so Paul reminds them of the authority that he does have. Verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, a messenger appointed by Jesus by the will of God. He's saying, you need to value the authority that I have, not because of me, but because it's from God. I didn't claim it for myself like these guys, and I'm not there by popular vote. It's by the will of God. And then he goes on to tell them, and remember, you are God's church. 
Verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're God's church. And so he says, you've been set apart from the world. Don't follow it. Don't go back to being like it. But he also says, you're the same as all the other churches because they've started to think that they were better than everybody else. Super spiritual. And so he continues, verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. They are who they are, not because they were worth it, but because of God's grace. For in him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. Those were the things that they thought made them stand out. And he's saying, no, no, that came from God. You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And here we come to the next issue. The Corinthians thought they were special because of their spiritual gifts. But he's reminding them, actually, it's not about some abilities that you've found that you can have. No, no, no. All believers have all the spiritual gifts that they need through Jesus Christ. You have forgiveness. You have love. You have adoption. You have eternal life. That's what makes you special. But the other problem that's wrapped up with the gifts is because of these things, they thought that they'd already arrived in the kingdom of God. And Paul's saying, no, 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 we are eagerly waiting for him. And he'll go on in verse 8 to say, it's actually only by the Lord God who will keep us firm till the very end. God is speaking to them through Paul, through this letter and to us, calling them back to himself. Instead of wandering off like runaway children. Anna Lena and Micah had plans to get married on the beaches of Africa. Trouble was, Anna Lena was only seven and Micah was six. Uh, this is them at the train station. You see, they'd come up with a great plan. They knew better than their parents. They had a sleepover. And then in the dark, around six o'clock, they left home, headed over to the Hanover uh, railway station because they were going to get on the train, go to the airport and fly to Africa. They packed well, swimmers. They had their sunglasses. They'd even packed a lilo. They were ready. But as they sat there, a policeman came along, found the story and informed them that they were going nowhere without any money, let alone a ticket. This is what God's doing. The Corinthians are like runaway children. They think they know better than God. And God is saying, you're not going anywhere. Without me, in fact, you're going to miss out on all that I have given to you. I I loved just stopping and thinking about this week. Why does God put in this letter? This messy church. What's his wisdom, isn't it? Seen in his word that he knows people and churches can get messy. And he's going to talk to us about that in this term as we look at this letter again. This is Paul's letter to the Corinthians as God speaks to us, his people. All right, so our second point is God's call to stay in the situation where God has placed you. 
Stay in the situation where God has placed you. That's a pretty big idea. And what I wanted really to do today as we begin this series was lay this foundation because over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at chapter 7 in its different parts. We're going to look at marriage. We're going to look at singleness. And so we're laying the foundation for understanding what God is saying about those really critical issues and important ones, but also about life. The call to stay in the situation where God has placed you. What it's saying is glorify God where you are instead of looking to glorify yourself where you want to be, where you think you should be. And this comes through really clearly in chapter, verses 17 to 24. Have a look at verse 17 with me. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them or to you, just as God called them. Do you see that? You're to live as a believer. This is, this is not just for certain people, depending on their circumstances. No, no, no. This is for all of those who are Christians. We're to hear this. And, and in fact, to make sure we get it, it comes up three times. It's like a Big Mac. Okay, I'm sure at some point we've all seen at least a picture of a Big Mac, right? You've got three pieces of bread and you've got your meat and stuff in between. Three times we get this truth, 17, 20, 24. And so we see in verse 17, where you are isn't by chance or luck or bad luck. It's the Lord has assigned that place in your life to you. Just as God called you. See, they're connected. So let's think about this. What does it mean to be called? In fact, eight times Paul in these few verses talks about how we are called by God. Christians can talk about being called in a few different ways. But the one that's consistently used here is the idea of the Holy Spirit calling or pulling us into a faith in Jesus Christ as our Saviour and King. That's what's on view here. And so what Paul's saying is, God called you into that relationship. He hasn't then just kind of set and forget and wandered away. No, no, no. He then assigned you. He placed you right where you are. And so Paul wants us to understand and really feel the significance of this by giving us two examples or illustrations, if you like. The first one is to do with our identity. Look at verse 18. He then talks about the Jewish custom of circumcision. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? The answer is no. Uh, could be, yes. He should be, not become uncircumcised. I don't know how you pull that one off. Um, well, that doesn't work either. But anyway, um, was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. So don't change. Why? Well, verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. For the Jews, this has been incredibly confronting. Who I am, what are you telling me is my national identity is nothing? Or the Gentiles who are thinking, maybe I need to have that to become something. He's saying, no, it doesn't matter. 
And I think this is such, so true for us because we can get so caught up in our distinctives. What makes me, me? But Paul's saying they don't count. None of them count when you are called to Christ. That becomes your ultimate identity. We hear people talking about, what is my identity? I need to find myself. What is my worth, my value? And Paul tells us here that there's only one thing that matters for eternity. There's only one aim that we ought to have for our life, and that is to glorify God by keeping his commands, by obeying him. Verse 20, each person should remain in the situation they were, they were in when God called them. We're at that middle piece of the bread. It just keeps coming again and again. And now he moves from freedom, uh, sorry, from identity to freedom as the second illustration of, of what this means for us. And it is a radical call to remain. Have a look at verse 20. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Or a better way of reading that would be, don't be anxious to change it. Don't fight it. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. There's an exception there, and I'll talk about that in a second. But he goes on to explain in verse 22, For the one who was a slave when, he called, when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. The simple idea here is don't live for change. Look at it. Verse 22. If, 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 I don't think you could have come up with a more emotive illustration. Slaves, you are actually free. In the midst of your slavery, you are free in Christ. Free people. You have actually come into the freedom to be a slave of Christ Jesus, to belong to him. There is freedom. This is radical Christian priorities. This is a call to live Christ-centered lives. Christ-centered lives. Because then... And through that, we will know the greatest freedom we could possibly ever know. In fact, here is the promise, even to a slave, that you'll find more happiness, the greatest delight, the sovereign joy, as St. Augustine talks about it. I love that expression, that idea of the ruling or the ultimate joy will be found, Paul's saying, in Christ in the freedom that you have in him. Now, yes, change can happen. We see that in verse 21. But he's saying here, it'll happen as God enables it. You don't have to be consumed by it. God is going to make it happen in his timing. And whether that's now or where you're going to move to, whatever is happening, do it all for the glory of God. Next week, we're going to hear more of these exceptions. In chapter 7, as we look at marriage and then into singleness. But I want to encourage us. Don't run to the exceptions. It's natural to have questions about, well, what does that mean for me in this situation? Great. Let's talk about it afterwards. But don't run looking for a way out from under God's call here. 
to stay in the situation where he has placed you. I encourage you to be praying about this. But the reason Paul gives for this is in verse 23. You were bought at a price. Jesus' blood, the Son of God, shed his blood on that cross to buy your freedom. There is nothing this world that can, can offer you that will come even close. So do not become slaves of human beings. Don't give up this incredible freedom for an identity or a self-worth that the world promises that doesn't even come close. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. I think this is a real challenge for us as Christians because we live in a culture consumed with change, distracted by the different and the new that next promotion, that next holiday, that whatever it is. But that is not to be us. And I've been doing quite a bit of thinking about this uh, for a while. And one of the truths that God has really given to me that I've found so helpful to know, to actually remind myself, tell myself is this. Tomorrow can't give me more of Christ than I have today. I just let that sink in a little. Tomorrow can't give me any more of what I have in Christ already today. We're not missing out to live Christ-centered lives. If a slave can know the greatest freedom, the, the sovereign joy in Christ Jesus, then whatever situation we're in, we too can know that joy. So let's make the most of Christ today. The identity, the freedom that only he can give. Whether you're a teenager, young adult, new parents, going through midlife, doesn't even have to be a crisis, or in retirement, often we can be asking ourselves, what's God's will for my life? This is the answer. Stay in the situation God has placed you and seek to glorify him there. It's that simple. I'm not saying it's easy, but it actually is very simple, isn't it? How can I obey God in this situation? Listen to his word and live it. How can I live out the freedom that Christ bought for me and the identity that I have being called to him? And as I do that, I will glorify God. Because tomorrow can't give me any more of Christ than I can already have today. So I should make the most of it. And so should you. This is a life-changing word from God today. Let's see how. Steve and Julie's marriage was going through a really rough patch. But they actually knew that God would give them the love, the wisdom, the forgiveness, the grace that they so desperately needed. And they also understood that coming to church and listening to God and being with his people and, and doing life in their growth group and sharing their life, even the rough bits, that that was how God was going to save their marriage and strengthen it into the future. 
Karen's work was stressful. Because the money was tight and the situation was stressful. But she knew and she told others that the only way she was coping any day was that she began the day spending time with God. Listening to him speak into her very soul and into her life and then handing everything over to him. And she knew that it was actually God who was going to enable her to be the wife and the mother that she wanted to be. And to serve him at work, at home and at church. Brendan realised that he was unhappy with his life. But by listening to God's word and by the power of the spirit, he became convicted that the things of this life would never satisfy him. And he was so glad that the lie had been exposed. But more importantly, he had Jesus and all that that meant for him in his life today. And the hope of eternal life in heaven. That time when he would be living full life that this world could never offer. Well, since you've been called to Christ. In every situation, do all things for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us today from your word. You know the situation that each of us is in because you placed us there. And we ask, we plead that by your grace you would help us to stay there knowing what we have in Christ and seeking to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, look, I want to encourage you.